Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Speaking of Racism. So good. Okay, we are here. Here we are. And it's so good to be like able to take in your faces, all of our faces. And I know, of course, the our the, the podcast audience won't see this, but please just know that it's a beautiful sight to have the four of us on or in this recording studio, this virtual recording space, um, myself and my co-host Jen. And we are being joined today by two individuals who I have been following and learning from for several years now. And so it actually kind of feels, um, it, it just, it feels very appropriate and joyful for me to be able to be in conversation with both of you together, um, with Jen and I on the podcast. So welcome Carrie Kelly and Michelle Cassandra Johnson. Thank you for inviting us to be here. Happy to be with y'all. Yeah, the following and the admiring and the learning from is very mutual, I think, mm -hmm. all around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting to meet people in real life, you know, on the screen at least, in live conversation, who you've been following and connected with online for years. I'm like, this is the first time we're meeting, but I kind of feel like I know you. And that's yeah. a little, you know, it's cool, it's strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's the first time that Jen is meeting both of you. Um, of course, I, I know both of you before this. But I, I have been speaking of both of you to Jen for a few years. So this is a conversation that she and I, I think, have wanted to have for a long time. So um, it really means a lot that you're here with us. And I would love to just jump in um, and Share, I think I would love to go to the beginning of where I came in contact with both of your work and how that started. And then we can move into several different conversations. I want to talk about the books that both of you have. Um, uh, I have a lot more to say about that in a little bit. And I want to talk about the work that you both do in the world, of course, and, and just talk about what is most present on your hearts today in this moment as we are recording this at the end of October in 2022. And I, I feel like we are living in a time where it's it's helpful to put a timestamp. I think that there was a time where we were like, no, don't talk about the date because you know we, we don't know when we're going to post this and when it's going to air and go live and all of this. However, things are happening and changing so quickly in our society in so many different ways that I do want to timestamp this. So um, we'll, we'll kind of let, you know, let's, let's kind of, no, no, we'll come back to that. We'll come back. Um, I will share that in, I want to say 2018, when I started on my very intentional anti-racism journey, my decolonial journey, um, my racial awakening, um, as a result of, Really, I could go back to 2016, but at the time, 2017, 2018, I was a fitness professional um, and working in the health and wellness industry for many, many years. 
I was teaching yoga in a lot of studios and in a lot of different capacities in a corporate setting primarily. And as I was, again, kind of coming into the the racial awakening and doing my own work to um, just, just unpack my own internalized racism, I recognized, I began to seek out intentionally black and brown voices in the yoga space in particular. Um, because I had come up, again, in, in, in health and, and wellness from a very westernized and white supremacist, um, very, very harmful uh, foundation um, with, with regards to where I got my yoga teacher certification and the ways that I was operating in the yoga space for many years in the fitness industry. And I came across Michelle's book, Skill in Action. And I'll say the whole title, Skill in Action, Radicalizing Your Yoga Practice to Create a Just World. That was my introduction to you, Michelle. And it was also my introduction to looking at this ancient practice of yoga through a completely new lens, through this social justice perspective, and through the eyes of a black woman. Um, so that's how I learned about you. That would then eventually lead me to um, go deeper in who is this Michelle Cassandra Johnson and what is she doing in the world? And I, I think uh, after getting the book, that really changed everything for me about my yoga practice. It gave me a new perspective. Um, I, I then connected with other folks in the work that I know that you um, have worked with. Susanna Barkataki is one of them. Um, just, just really... Um, starting to approach my yoga practice in a completely different way as a practitioner, as a teacher, as a student. Um, and then it, it, it became central in work that I did in creating legacy trips. Um, Skill in Action is kind of like the legacy trips Bible in a way, um, because I use so much of, of, of um, some of the things that you touch on in the book. So that's how I came to know you, but I know that your work precedes that book um, by many, many years. And so I guess I, I'll, I'll pause here and just ask you to share. I'd love to start with you, Michelle. Share with us who you are and how did you come into this work of writing Skill in Action? Um, what's the name of the website? Oh, Dismantling Racism. Dismantling racism, yes, um, and and so much that I've learned. Even I know that that's not something that is is currently active, and yet it is still out in the world for for folks to use as a resource, which is incredibly helpful. Um, and we'll share that link with folks in the show notes as well. But I, I'll 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 just ask that you take us briefly through how you got into doing your work as an anti racism and um, justice. Um, facilitator into yoga, into and also meeting Carrie and your friendship because I found out and learned about Carrie through you, um, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, thank you, Tina, for sharing um, about how you came to Skill in Action and just to know of me and um, I'm really glad we're comrades and friends and connected. Um, and I love this question about who I am because it, the answer changes all the time. 
And I'm like, well, where do I begin? But what I will say is that um, how I came to to skill in action and thinking about justice and and really trying to live into a practice that creates conditions um, for a just world and liberation. I feel like some of it's rooted in my childhood. I was a curious child. I noticed people, I was observant, and I would always ask my mom, like, what's going on with that person? She was a special education teacher as well, and I was in her classroom a lot, so that influenced me. I saw how she treated the children she worked with and how the system treated the children she was working with and how different that was, and I saw her practice collective care. And so that my mother, her name's Clara, um, and she's so dear to me. She definitely influenced how I think about how we care for people and and value people and how we show that. And then you couple that with a curious child who's like, what's going on in this world? And I was a black girl in a white school. And having an experience of racism, although I didn't have those words when I was in you know, first grade, I just knew I was having a different experience than the white kids I went to school with. And that continued until I changed schools in 10th grade where there were more students of color in this, the um, school I went to for, for 10th through 12th grade. So I think like lived experience, my mother's influence and my curiosity about disconnection in the world is what led me to skill in action. And then more specifically, I started to practice yoga um, well, I practiced something that was that was called yoga in college, although it, it now that I understand the practice a little bit more and know it's a spiritual practice, we were not practicing yoga. We were moving um, our bodies, but I wouldn't even call what we were doing asana. That was it was not based in the eight limb path of yoga. But much later than that, in, in grad school, I I um, started to go to a, a class in our community, and the teacher presented yoga as a spiritual practice. And I became really curious about what he was talking about. Um, and eventually, that led me to many different teachers from different lineages, and then to a, a teacher training, a 200-hour and 300-hour teacher training. And in both of the, the those trainings, I had an experience that was similar to the experience I had in, in elementary school where I was like, I'm one of a few, if not the only black person in this space. And um, we're working with a practice that centers liberation and how we get free and suffer less. And yet there are so many people missing from this space who are suffering because of how systems operate and what is going on, that we're having a conversation about liberation, but we're not actually talking about what's required for us to create um, liberatory spaces, right? Or to create a just world. And so that those trainings and just the way the wellness industry has been structured, of course, mirrors the way so many other institutions operate around related to who's excluded and how marginalization happens. I feel like that the, those trainings and being one of a few or the only one just led to a lot of dissonance. Like, what are we even doing? And so skill in action came from a place of anger, from dissonance, from wanting to say something to the wellness world. And it's so funny to hear the impact it had. I appreciate you sharing it. And it's it's interesting because the second edition came out in November of 2021. And I think back to like sitting in my apartment in 2016 and 2017, writing the first edition, which was like 95 pages, right? It almost feels like a pamphlet to me, but it, but I've heard the impact it's had on people. Like I said, something that disrupted folks. And while that was not my explicit intention, like I didn't say I'm, I, this book's going to disrupt. I'm, I more said this book is going to raise consciousness, which of course is a disruption. And so, you know, skill in action 
came from this place of wanting to transform um, and wanting to raise consciousness about the experience that those of us who are less proximal to power were having related to our well-being and access to wellness. So there's more, but I can I can stop there. Yeah, and I'm really glad that I have both of you on today because we get to talk about, and I don't think I've had an opportunity to do this much on the podcast, but really speak to the wellness industry. And so uh, I would love to just invite Carrie for you to share also who you are and how um, how you show up in the world in whatever that looks like for you and however you want to describe that. Um, and tell us about American Detox. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I, I love this question too. I'm like, who am I <laughs> for real? Um, which is a really, every time someone asks me that question, I'm like, yeah, revealing itself always. Um, but I obviously come to this conversation from a very different um, lived experience um, as Michelle. I, I grew up in a culture and a community that did look a lot like me. Um, it was like a white picket fence, white suburb, suburb outside of Manhattan, um, deeply socialized, um, not just in whiteness, but, you know, in like um, ableism and, um, uh, you know, uh, gender binaries and, um, um, and classism. Um, and, and I also grew up the daughter of nurses and firemen. My family were, you know, many generations of first responders. So I had a deep streak, um, embedded in me of service, um, and of showing up, uh, for community. Um, and that I was very committed to that path, um, that sort of like predisposed, <laughs> inherited should path until 9-11, which is when my stepdad, who was a first responder, um, died in the towers. And that was a massive disruption for me of everything I, I thought I knew about everything, basically. Um, and that was the moment that sort of put me on the path of, of seeking, quite frankly, like seeking answers, seeking truth, um, seeking healing, um, seeking meaning right in an un unimaginable moment and and that's when i discovered yoga and meditation and the wellness world which obviously had the answer to all of my questions you know obviously. like um <laughs> like every <laughs> every complex deep-seated impossible question to answer you know wellness had you know a mantra for it and so i really fell for it um i loved the way i i felt it was like a religion for me um, it helped me escape a lot of the pain and the grief that I was feeling. Um, it helped me rationalize away <laughs> all of my discomfort. Um, um, and, um, and, and it sort of like gave me a new lease on life. And, and ironically, you know, like often we say, if you're actually like really, really for real doing the practice, um, it becomes inevitable that um, the truth is revealed to you. And so the many myths um, that I sort of fell for um, started to, fe to feel exposed for me as I got like deeper into my practice, in fact. Um, and I started to, I want to say like I started to actually just feel a lot of dissonance around the practice. 
um, because I couldn't quite reconcile why I got to walk out of um, a yoga class in the South, in, in the Soma of San Francisco, all blissed out and enlightened, you know, covered in sweat, where, you know, drinking a green juice um, and confronted by like the same group of homeless youth that like sat, like that literally lived in the entranceway to the yoga studio um, all the time. And so I started to wonder like why I got to be well while so many people were struggling to survive. And, and that's when the questions really emerged for me around like, is, is this, is this really making us well, or is this in fact making us worse, right? Is wellness selling us a promise that we can escape, that we can uh, dissociate, <laughs> that we can numb ourselves, right? That we can, um, um, you know, uh, bypass the truth of, of what's really happening out in the world. And that's when I really started to lean into the intersection of of wellness and justice and politics. And, and even I just want to name like inside of that journey of like trying to do, um, people can't see, I have air quotes, like the right thing in wellness, right? I, I fell for all the traps, right? I fell into white saviorism. I fell into allyship, right? Like I had to like keep learning and unlearning these really hard lessons of what it actually means to, to show up for the well-being of everyone. Um, and so it was a very, I think sometimes when you like explain to people that like you had a realization and you wake up, people think it's like overnight and then everything is clear the next day. And that's, that's not how it went for me, actually. It was very much a messy <laughs> and often humiliating unraveling of like having to learn the same lesson over and over and over and over again um, until I actually got to the truth of the practice, right? Which isn't about perfection. It's about humanness and relationship um, and humility and compassion. And so I feel like I've been on that path ever since. And American Detox really is just the story of that journey for me of that sort of like very messy unraveling into awakening and what it looks like to be in practice, not to be imperfect, not to like do the right thing, the, you know, the right ally thing or have the right ally move, but to just like walk the path of like being in relationship and living into truth. You know, Jen knows very well that when when she arrived at the crossroads and Jen, you know, I, I do want you to feel free to hop in whenever you, whenever you want. But, um, Jen, when she had started the podcast and began to get or, or arrived at the place where she recognized and, and, and decided that she needed to do something different in terms of, you know, her role with the podcast and owning it. And, and she and I had become friends, um, and reached out to me. Um, we had a conversation. I acquired this podcast. We then went through, um, just, just changing this whole restructuring of what this podcast is going to be. What is speaking of racism? How can it be, um, 
just really something that belongs to the community at large while being black owned and black led. And we assembled a, an advisory board and we had a lot of just justice loving folks, primarily black and brown folks. We had a few white folks as well. We did a, a you know several episodes during the year of 2020 and 2021. Did not have a lot of white guests. Um, and that was intentional as I wanted to, and all of us made a very intentional decision to center black and brown voices in these conversations in particular. Um, and I, I mentioned that because this season and this mini season, um, when I put together like my dream list of who I wanted to invite on, um, you were one of the first people that came to my mind, um, and both of you, both you, Carrie and Michelle, and and then when I shared this with Jen, she was very excited about it as well. And I think I'm I'm curious about your relationship, the two of you, because again, the way that I came to know you, Carrie, was through Michelle. And back in I want to say 2019, I went through the year long course that is race and resilience that both of you lead together. Um, can one or both of you share what that is in addition to how did the two of you um, come together to do this work? And, you know, very similar to Jen and I um, as friends and as, um, I don't want to use the word colleagues, but like co-conspirators in this work together, we get questions. Um, I really appreciate, Carrie, that you named, you know, what it was like for you coming into your, the, the awareness of your role in wellness and, and seeing yourself through a lens um, of, you know, why, what, why does my privilege allow me to move so freely in these spaces and others do not have this access and, and confronting white saviorism and all of this. So would, would you both just however you like share about your relationship, your friendship, your journey and the work that you do together? Yeah, I can, I can begin. Um, so we knew of each other, I think for a few years before we met in person and um, this, what you said about y'all's relationship, you and Jen, and that you get questions because you're having very different lived experiences, especially based on race, right? And you're doing some work around that together and thinking about positionality. That's what I gathered from what you said. It's, I heard that and it struck me because when I first met Carrie, it was in a five-day training. Carrie was one of the facilitators of the training. I wasn't going to go to it, but a mutual friend of ours said, you need to be there. And so, and I was about to move to Portland. I was like, I have no time for this right now. So, but I went and met Carrie on the first day. Um, and I remember we were like standing up near the wall talking, I think before it had started because we were excited to meet each other in person. And um, while I understood and know Carrie is a white bodied individual in the world, what, what I experienced in our meeting was like, oh, I see you. So I see something in addition to your race, like I see your heart, I see your divinity, I see there's some like deep resonance, not necessarily through words, I felt that. And so it's it's like, I, I'm answering this way because um, 
it feels significant to recognize that in people when there's so much division and separation and also to be like, we're moving through the world very differently. So given that we're going to be in deep relationship with one another, where love is centered and we're working together, we need to both hold that um, and remember that resonance and that divinity that we both embody and that drew us to one another and the way we like what we value and the world we want to see and the world we're dreaming of envisioning together. Like we need to hold that as we hold our identities and how different they are. That feels important to me as a practice. So I feel like when I first met Carrie, I was like in that practice, but I didn't know it was going to be there because I didn't know what our experience would be like. So we met through this training. The training was very, um, it was just, a, everything happened. It feels like in this training, there's a lot of disruption. There's like a lot of whiteness showing up. People of color mad. We're moving into infinite, like all this stuff happened. And I was fine. I was like, fine. I was there for it. I was sitting there. I was, I felt grounded, even though I was like uprooting my life at the time. But in that, I just felt like, okay, I'm going to watch this play out. Right. And um, after that, Carrie, we, continued to be in relationship and talk to one another about doing some work together, which is how, where race and resilience came from. Um, and really race and resilience is about some of the things I just named, like, and some of the things Carrie named around what the practice of yoga is about. Um, but you know, race and resilience is, is about how do we work across lines of difference? That's one way we differentiate ourselves because I've been doing racial equity work for a long time, mainly through dismantling racism works where we were working across difference, but that isn't what we said we did. And Carrie and I really say like, we really want to build capacity and um, build the skill to work across difference and to um, call people who are more proximal to power into being accountable to center relationship, right? To center people and transformation over transactional exchanges. Um, and it's it's more, the course you spoke about is a year-long cohort because we want to be in community with people over time. We know like disrupting, dismantling, interrupting racism or any system of oppression, it's going to take time. It's not like a, you go to a two-hour training and you're done. It's not even really about the training. The consciousness racing is one piece of it, but then it's like, what do you do? And what's your consistent practice now that you know what you know? And what else do you need to know, right? And so the, the cohort model was because we knew it would take time for people to build skills. We also wanted to build a community with one another and offer some practices that people could take into their work and their leadership in their different spaces, um, organizations and community and organizing work they did. So it's more than that, but like, that's what I'd say about, you know, how we came together and race and resilience. And finally, that we are like, I mean, we are in an, it, this relationship across difference. So it's not just about us talking about what it means to be in relationship across difference. We have to be in practice. And that means we have different roles at different times, which I'm sure Carrie might speak to. Um, so I'll turn it over to you, Carrie. Yeah, I'll just second that, um, you know, we discovered so much common ground right off, right, right out of the gates. We're both Leos. Um I, I had just gotten divorced, I think, at the time. So we were both going through like massive relational transition. I had just moved to New York. Michelle was moving. I mean, like there was just like, there was like, we were in the vortex together and there was just a lot for us to build upon. And our relationship 
was always very openly racialized. Like th that was like never a question. It wasn't like we love each other and we have so much in common that it, er it erased our race. Like, so we were really clear and upfront about that inside of our relationship, that, that this is always happening and we're always gonna be navigating this no matter how much we love each other, right? Because the world is happening, right? Um, and, and I loved what you were saying, Michelle, about, about our, our unique role. And I think the questions that you were naming helped us get really sharp and discerning around, I mean, we really like sat with that question of like, what is our, our being like Michelle and mine, what is our responsibility and assignment and like right role, right? Given all the other things that are being offered out there and all the other people who are doing amazing work to advance equity, right? Um, and and we, we got really clear that we really wanted to model and be in public practice around what we were learning in our own, you know, biracial relationship. And the way in which we were building skills, right, and and making mistakes, and right, and and building resilience, and learning how to love and navigate, um, not just a complex relationship, but a really complex time, right? Like we've been friends since twenty fifteen. Really complex time, right? Um, and so, anyway, so I think like those questions help helped us get clear, and helped us get um, and helped us take responsibility for like how we were showing up and, and the contribution that we were making. And inside of our kind of joint um, right role and responsibility is our is our specific individual roles, you know, that are really different because our lived experience is so different. And we get to we get to work with that in really creative ways, too. And, and also, I just want to say, because I feel like a relationship we've been like in, like invested in our relationship for so long it has also allowed us to step outside of those roles at times. I remember I I I um I was in DC for all of the Kavanaugh um hearings and I was, you know, doing civil disobedience and getting arrested and and then I flew directly to Michelle because we were I was like I'm I'm not far and I think we were going to have a meeting and I think we may have even had a like a one day training the next day and I show up knackered like I am just like I haven't slept in five days I'm like you know I'm not showered I and right and I was like but this is like it's my role you know as a white woman in this work to put my body on the line and to like take it and to like lose sleep and to be uncomfortable and Michelle was like girl you need to rest <laughs> and so she like planned this whole day for me um, so that I could actually get like nourished and replenished. And I remember at one point felt like I took a, like the deepest nap I've ever taken in my life. And I was so embarrassed that I actually took a nap in my friend's presence. Cause that's just like, not usually how I roll, but that's how tired I was. And Michelle was so proud of me. She was like, that was exactly the point of this day. And so I just say that because because the depth of our relationship actually allowed us to step out of those sort of expected racial roles in sort of biracial relationships and actually do the thing that's needed for one another. And, and that like that experience, I tell that story all the time because even that sort of defied the way in which we sort of shape shift into like our right role and responsibility that our relationship was strong enough to hold a different formation when it was needed. Um, both of you just referenced in a, in a couple of different ways. Well, first of all, I love and this is who Michelle is. This is the Michelle that I have listened to and learned from as a student and just with her heart. Um, her heart always comes first. 
and that that is just the way that I've experienced um, you, Michelle, in in a variety of different ways. And so to hear that that's a really sweet story about your friend has shown up on your doorstep and while she's out there being kind of social justice warrior, you know, white woman doing the work, air quotes, you're like, but girlfriend, you're exhausted. So can you just like chill and rest and like we can save the world when you get some sleep and a shower? Like, that's important. We need you clean and <laughs> with with actual sleep. Um, you, you both mentioned different roles at different times. Um and I, I think I'm, I'm curious about that because, you know, and even thank you for the context and the time frame and that you all met, you know, in 2015, uh, and, and that's when you became friends. You were at this conference that sounds like it had a lot of tumultuous situations, um, which is, I, I wouldn't say often that, the, you know, something that the, the beginning of friendships, you know, happen um, as a result of that kind of an experience. Um, and, and I think what I'll, and I know that you all have been consistent about your work together um, and your friendship and your relationship. And you have in, in what appears to me just as someone observing, not like I didn't, I don't know the ins and outs of your relationship, but someone just observing, you know, on online and on social media, you have both been, and Michelle, you in particular, um, very adamant and even to the point where I would say fiercely protective of one another in a way that I have um, admired. Um, and it never centered, I, I didn't, I'll just say that I was perplexed. I'll kind of go back um, before the summer of 2020, right? I, which is again, I was I'm following you all. I'm 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 observing what it's like to be a student in the space that is y'all's cohort, and I just kind of remember being fascinated um, with the ways that you both worked together so beautifully. Um, as well as kind of taking some hits, right? Um, as far as um, folks that did not agree with the ways that you all were doing work together. And while there's a lot more I could say about that, I think I, I wanna just pause <laughs> um, and say that for me, I'm someone who has been behind the scenes or, or rather just observing. And so to have observed the both of you over a period of years and, you know, now again in 2000, at the end of 2022, really watching the ways that you all, your, your, you have sustained your friendship, sustained the work and, and, and continue to build on it, continue to impact folks of all racial and gender identities in really powerful ways. Um, in, and, and in particular, in ways that I think folks have not seen this dynamic work it, in other ways, right? I mean, I, I think that especially when it comes to, unfortunately, the world of social media, um, over the past year, I will, we, we have observed a lot of dysfunction and division inside of social and racial justice spaces when white women and black women have come together and worked together and it has fallen apart and it's exploded in a very painful and harmful and visible way. Um, and so I think I'm just 
curious and would love for your for for both of you to kind of speak to what does that mean different roles at different times I um thanks Tina for sharing that and your just the way you observe have observed us over time and um what you described about like how how does this work like how <laughs> because we have had so many examples and have witnessed so many to your point where white women and black women are working together or people are working across difference and it like explodes, um, for many reasons. I mean, there are, there are so many reasons, but it's different when it explodes on social media. And when we're in a time where, um, people are canceling one another's humanity and, and as you were sharing, it really made me think about Cynthia Brown, who was a colleague of mine through Dismantling Racism Works, who passed away in 2016. Um, and um, what she said as she was dying was, never leave anyone behind. And Cynthia was a, she was 55 or 54 at the time when she passed away. She had pancreatic cancer. And she was an organizer and she was committed to black people. Like she was, she was not saying bypass what's happening when she, she was like, don't throw people away. And so I feel like I knew that before Cynthia offered that gift to us all, but I like really embodied it when I, when I heard that is what she shared with the seven women around her is one of the final things she said. And so I just think I'm like in relationship with people committed to not throwing them away. It doesn't mean I'm going to like, you know, risk everything and never set a boundary. And that's not what I'm talking about. I just have a deep commitment to like our humanity and our collective well-being and liberation. And that translates to how I show up in relationship with Carrie and with many other people, right? But particularly when we're working across difference and we know we're moving through the world very differently and the risk is different for us based on on race um, and and perhaps other identities. And so that commitment and sort of value around our humanity is something that feels non-negotiable to me and informs um, how we are with one another. And, you know, our unique roles, the context will will sort of shape that, as you saw in a year-long cohort, the way we weave with one another, the like who's speaking when. We're, we're, it's not scripted, but we've worked with each other long enough to sort of know, do you want to respond to this person or should I respond? Like, or to give each other a look. We know there needs to be a response, but who wants to do that now and put energy into that or both of us? So, like, we know each other that way and, and um, we recognize that at times – and I recognize Carrie's role, Carrie can risk more when we think about liberation connected to um, disrupting and dismantling racism. Like Carrie can risk more because Carrie's white bodied and the risk for me is much greater, even though this is the work that I do in the world. I feel like that's always clear to us and then defines how we work together and our strategy um, around um, creating equity and, and a just world. And to what Carrie, the story Carrie shared, shared earlier about how roles can shift, because I said the context will will sort of um, help us know what our role is or clarify that. Carrie is going to be no good to me or anyone else in this movement if she is sleep deprived, not nourished, not well, right? That's just, I know that. Um, and I'm not going to be able to be of service in the way I want to in the world if I'm not nourished and cared for and 
haven't, you know, if I haven't slept for days, right? That's not going to work. It's not sustainable. So I'm like clear we can't actually create transformation that's long-term if we're going to like be burned out, right? Even Mm -hmm. though I'm very grateful Carrie was there putting her body on the line. But when I saw her, I was like, this, no, it's not what's happening right now. I don't know what you're doing, but you need some food. (laughs) I still remember it. Like you need some food. You need to sit down. (laughs) I did say that. What are you even talking about? You know? So like, I just think that that's what we mean about context, right? Like, yes, you can risk more. And also you deserve rest and you deserve to be free too, right? Even if what you are willing to risk to get us there collectively is different than what I am willing to risk or can risk based on being a black person in America and a white supremacy culture. So I know Carrie has more to say. Well, I'll just add that, you know, um, Well, I'll, I'll say this for me, especially, right? Because I'm trained in whiteness. So I have, I have to like really go the extra mile <laughs> to like get, like, to see beyond the veil, if you will, um, to, to, to show up in this work and also to show up in our relationship in a way that does the least amount of harm. And so I'm like, I'm aware of the limitations of whiteness on my body in, in the context, not just in the context of like social justice work, but in the context of like relationship. Right. Like, and, and actually, and, and I know this about Michelle too, because I know that she's a person committed to integrity. Like we are in constant interrogation because we're also like growing and learning along the way. Like we didn't mean 2015 and be like, we know everything. So now let's go and share this. It's like been a constant evolution, right. And emergence for us. And so we've had to iterate a bunch of times. Uh, I mean, the cohort actually came about because we started as workshops And then we were like, you know what, this isn't working because we actually need more time with people to build like foundational trust, right? And to work in a, like to to create a container where people can actually learn how to be in relationship over time, right? And over transformation with one another. And so I just think that, I just want to name that too, because that feels also a part of the like evolution of our relationship that we're we're constantly interrogating and asking ourselves hard questions, right? Um, um, is this working? You know, what is the impact that we're making? Who are we accountable to? You know, does this need to be different? You know, do we need to shift? Is what's needed different? You know, we have that conversation every year. Like, what is what does the community need right now? And we we try to like adjust to meet that need. And so, and then we have different needs. I just want to say as individuals, like we're different people than we were when we first met, right? And so like, I feel like we're learning how to also um, let ourselves be more whole inside of this relationship and also like understand that we're not static. We're also like growing and learning and unlearning and stretching and also like desiring. I mean, look, in the time I I wrote one book, Michelle wrote four. Okay, so like we've been up to a lot while we've been in relationship. And so we've needed different things at different times. And we're trying to create a relationship that can hold that Um, and right include um, all of the other nuance. Right. That's just inherently a part of of our relationship. And so it's constantly changing. I think it's like just constantly listening and communicating and checking in and being honest um, and being accountable to each other. 
So much of your story resonates with me. And it was it was just funny because I was thinking about the first time that Tina and I met in person. And one of the things that we learned, we had all of these things we were going to do and accomplish. We were going to take over the world. We were going to set everybody right. Like we were going to do the anti-racism, right? And then we got together and we just spent time together. And we had so much fun and did absolutely nothing of like note, right? Hiking, spending time together, cooking, having dinner, gathering, all of these things. And the thing that we walked away with after that was this deep understanding that there was something very important about joy in movement work, right? And and the word that I keep hearing over and over again and listening to your story is also relationship. And that is so hard because it takes so much time and it requires so much space for imperfection, right? Like how scary is it to be in relationship with people where they're going to get to see you and they're going to get to know you and they're going to see some of your ugly spots, right? And, and to be exposed like that. You know, Carrie, you talked about how whiteness impacts your body. And I just think about that and the way that whiteness requires this idea of perfection and this idea of exhaustive, you know, movement and constantly going and constantly doing and the profound gift that you were given in rest is just so important. And I think about like when I first experienced the space of relationship and joy and rest, I asked this question without even realizing I was asking it. But the question I really grappled with was, is this for me? Is joy for me? Is rest for me? And I had to confront the fact that I really felt like I had to do almost like this penance. You know, I had to make right all that was wrong by continuing to work at a pace and do at a pace and go at a pace that would eventually like decimate me, right? And so I just really appreciate the ways in which you're talking about time, the cohort being an entire year, relationship, the back and forth, the flexibility, the necessity for that, you know, and just like understanding that this takes time. This is a marathon. This is not like a short sprint or a race like people so often approach justice work. So I really appreciate you all just sharing all of this. And I wanted to say that it resonates deeply with me. And Jen, I, as soon as you unmuted, I knew that's exactly what you were going to talk about was when you and I first met after being virtual, like we were friends and had been, but right. I was living in the Dallas area and you're in Detroit. And so we had developed this friendship. And then the first time that we actually spent physical time in each other's presence, it was, yeah, work, air quotes, out the window. And we just, um, we just focused on the joy. And um, that is something also that I know that both um, Carrie and Michelle, you all um, really ground yourselves in. You know, as Jen and I have done the work that we've done together, we have, and I'll speak for myself because Jen, you just talked about the, the, the perfectionism that we get from whiteness. And, you know, she and I have had so many conversations about 
how do we do this and not wanting to get it wrong. And I think that, to be honest, it really kept me from doing more in in a sense like I just I, I kind of felt like, ooh, we we I don't know if I, I just did not feel like I wanted to, I didn't feel like we had it all, all figured out. Right. And that that's whiteness also. Right. I, I, we didn't, I didn't know how, or, or I wasn't willing to be vulnerable in, um, in many ways. And that's, I think something that when I talk about observing the both of you kind of from a distance and, and in this, this virtual way, um, that I admired about both of you in the sense that there was not this attempt to show everyone that you all are doing this perfectly or doing it right. It always felt very honoring of each other's humanity. It always felt like, and I, I still feel this, um, and I don't know if this, you know, what, what brought, if this is kind of what has um, allowed the both of you to continue in the work in the ways that you have. Um, but just this, this, the, the reality of, I guess what Jen was saying, that the relationship has been prioritized and that there is this vulnerability that you both come into your friendship with. And that is evident in the work that you all do in the world as well. Um, so that's just, that's just something that's been impactful and, and powerful for me. So I appreciate that. Um, finding refuge um, and would love for as we kind of start to bring this to a close talk about what uh, Finding Refuge Michelle is your latest book and um, I recently listened to it and was really and it, it is it centers around healing um, and it's, it's very, very beautiful in all of the stories. Um, you are an amazing storyteller. Um, everything from sharing a lot of your um, personal stories and journey, a lot of your ancestry, um, uh, a lot of your, your love for bees. <laughs> I've never thought about bees in, in quite the way that, that you, and then, and now after listening, I listen to your, I listen to it on audiobook. I'm like, how, how do we not always use bees in our community organizing? How are we not always talking about bees? So it just, it's just, it, it was such a, um, a beautiful, um, metaphor that you use, but can you speak to a little bit how you came to write Finding Refuge. Um, I do also then want to talk to and hear Carrie about how you came to American Detox and how these things are put, how they work together and how they facilitate healing um, for activists uh, and those of us in justice work in, and they complement each other in, in beautiful ways. And that brings us to the, the Detox and Refuge retreats coming up. Yeah, thanks, Tina, um, for sharing about your experience and the things you were moving through in in 2020 and and beyond, and what that meant about um, your process and the way you you worked and engaged at that time. And um, finding refuge really, I think, was sort of a, a um, good follow up to skill in action. Um, because I think skill in action, as I mentioned earlier, disrupted many people. Um, and um, what, in my experience, once there's a disruption, there's like what a, there's grief. Because and Carrie spoke to this in your story, like when you were sharing, like the world is not the way I thought the world was. 
okay, what does that mean now, right? And what are all of the feelings and the heartbreak associated with the, and that could come through any experience of loss. I was just sort of thinking about this, the sequence of the, the books, but it could come through any sort of, any, any loss that um, causes us, well, causes disorientation and then um, at times forces us to reorient. That's how I would talk about grief and loss collectively and, and individually. Um, and and um, finding refuge came from the desire I um, felt in my bones for us to, to acknowledge the um, losses we've experienced because of systems of oppression and because of climate change and because of not centering relationship or our humanity. It came from this like, hey, we need to actually talk about this or we're going to continue on the same path and replicate patterns that will create more loss and heartbreak. And oh, if we stuff this heartbreak down and the grief, we're, we're probably going to create more grief for one another um, and, and the planet. And so that is the place I would say that finding refuge emerged from a desire for us to be real about what we've lost and to, to contemplate, do we want to continue on this path? And oh, by the way, we need a practice to hold us if we're actually going to acknowledge our heartbreak. That, because finding refuge includes all of these different practices and it's sort of rooted in spiritual practice and how, whatever that may be for people, how a practice can anchor us, can remind us of who we are, can bring us back into wholeness amid all of the, the just chaos we are moving through and contributing to and experiencing. Um, so that's where, where it came from. And it was um, often what I will say, writing Finding Refuge was like a shamanic journey in that I share personal stories of grief and loss that are then connected to themes we're experiencing as a collective. And it meant I had to journey through those experiences of loss. Um, and um, I had to like engage in deep practice to be able to do that and ritual and like building altars for all the people I was writing about. I mean, it was a like channeling from the ancestors, building the altars they were telling me to build, sitting down at a specific time of day to write. It was very it was a fascinating writing experience. I haven't had one like that since. I, I just um, I have a book coming out in April and, and the experience was different. I don't really remember writing much of that, but the shamanic journey that was writing, the process of writing, finding refuge, I remember almost every part of it. Um, and it to me, connects with what we do through Carrie and I in our, in our lives and the world and through race and resilience because people are, I think, so many times um, what, we're, what we're asking people to look at and to do is to unlearn, but we're asking them to look at their conditioning and how much harm um, the conditioning we experience because of dominant culture and cultural norms, how much harm is created, right? And so... Um, and when there's harm and we realize that and we're implicated, I would say there's grief, whether or not people know it, like there's, there's loss. And then we can acknowledge that and we can then turn toward our, our tenderness related to that and also figure out what do we do? Like, what is our role now that we know this, what do we do? So it feels very connected to, to what we do and that we're calling people into a practice and we're both rooted in spiritual practice as well. And, and that feels connected to wholeness and humanity in the way I was speaking about. That's what we're calling people into. Like, how, how can we be more human, right? What does it mean to be in our wholeness? So um, Carrie's going to talk about American detox, but I think that the connection of finding refuge is like, where are your places of refuge? Because the world is so 
chaotic and we're part of that, where we implicated in that, what is our role? What is our practice? Um, how do we continue to commit to unlearning the things we need to unlearn? When I think about um, finding refuge in American detox, I, I think of them almost as like cousins because they're they're almost like manifestations of our right roles. In, right, like they're they're an expression of like the work that Michelle and I individually are like committed to, right? And it's not exclusive to us because I think we're both doing both work all the time, and yet. It, we're very clearly like laying a stake in the ground of like, this is the place of study. This is my place of work. And, you know, for me, I wrote American Detox from my lived experience, right? It's for people like me, people with so much proximity to power and to privilege. And, you know, Jen, what you were saying before about how, you know, with whiteness, um, the indoctrination, the internalization of whiteness comes um, shame and perfectionism, right? The laundry list, control, dominance, individualism, you know, even as I became aware of that and started to like unpack, you know, uh, those mindsets, you know, those dynamics are still very much alive in my body and at work, right? And so I wrote this book because I was really curious about the ways in which dominant culture imprints itself in us and on us. And what, it was, what it's gonna take for us to like excavate, you know, these really like toxic behaviors and beliefs and ideologies so that we can actually return to relationship with one another, so that we can actually remember who we are beyond who we've been told we are. And and what you were, what you were sharing before, Tina, made me think about prefigurative politics, this idea of like, we have to be like where we are right now, right? We can't be like bypassing the reality, right? And the context of where we are. And, and I think this is hard. And we need to also be imagining and living into who we want to be in the world. And, and so American Detox is, you know, a fierce interrogation, <laughs> of myself you know there's a lot of I tell a lot of like really humiliating stories in there about um getting it wrong um and what I've had to learn along the way and and I think where I netted out I'll say two things where I netted out at the end of that journey I wouldn't call mine a shamanic journey I'd call it a big fucking mess of a journey <laughs> like a lot of like a beat down of like having to reckon quite frankly it was like three years of reckoning like if I'm gonna write about this stuff I better come clean and, and be accountable, right, to all of the ways in which these things live inside of me and what I'm doing about it, you know, how I'm practicing with it. But I'll just say that where I got to at the end is that the cost of these ideologies is just too fucking high for me. You know, um, if whiteness is going to cost me my relationships, you know, if dominance is going to cost me my relate, like, like, and, and relationship is the reminder that it's actually not worth it and that to throw down against these systems and ideologies and culture um, is the is the only way that we're going to restore our rela relationships and preserve any sense of, of humanity. And so like so reckoning with that cost really helped me right to get consistent and convicted and committed in that like everyday practice of being like how am i embodying these systems how am i replicating these behaviors right how are how is this culture living um inside of me in this moment right and what can i do to disrupt that and detox it you know and and be you know in a in a in a stance right in an embodiment of 
who I want to become and who I want to be in the world and who I want to be in relationship because of who I love. And so that's, you know, that's where I landed at the end of that very messy, <laughs> probably not shamanic, but, you know, fierce reckoning was that, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a commitment to relationship. And that means that I need to, I need to show up and I need to do the work and it needs to be every day, like for the rest of my life, probably. I mean, I feel like that is such a being in the work for the rest of our lives, um, which also feels like being in relationship for the rest of our lives. Um, because uh, something that I know Jen and I talk about a lot is that, uh, and I certainly do, the, the work, air quotes, um, as a black woman, um, what I can speak to, and in, as a queer black woman for myself and Michelle, I, I, I think that I also hear you refer to this, like the work is our life. It's we, we, we don't separate from um, as we are moving around in the world, there is our this justice piece over here and that's somehow separate from who we are as individuals, right? Um, as parts of this collective that we are all striving for to liberate together, our work is the life and the life our life is the work and we're going to be doing it for the rest of our lives and learning ways to do it together, um, I think is, is how we get there. So it just means a lot to me that both of you have been so transparent about, um, the, 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 diff the ways that you have shown up in the work together, the ways that you continue to, uh, chip away at just the relationship as far as how you are accountable to one another, how you love one another, um, and, and just how you show that to the rest of the world and how that looks for us. It's, it's not a perfect process. Um, I appreciate Kelly, you, Carrie, you saying, you know, it's, it, your process with writing American Detox was just, just fucking messy. Um, I also feel that's how my process was in writing Are We Free Yet? It was a mess and in particular. And it's so interesting, Michelle, you referring to and describing your writing of Finding Refuge as this shamanic journey, that it, it comes across that way to the reader also. That's how I felt. I felt just, I like I think I said to you when we talked about it after, when uh, I think, um, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I didn't know how confronting it would be to read through Finding Refuge and to really come to some um, understandings about, oh, I'm going to be, I really have some work to do with my ancestors. I really want to spend more time there and, and, and do want to spend more time with the, the building and the construction of the altar and, and even, again, seeing how just the different cycles that you take us through with the honeybees, you know, how that just felt so relevant and relatable um, in so many ways. So I'm, I'm just grateful that that you both are um, in my life. Thank you for um, what I have learned from from both of you. Um, and like I said, Jen and I have been admiring you from afar. So this um, opportunity to speak with you means a lot to us. Yeah, thank you. Vice versa. Thanks thank you all you so for modeling yeah. and leading and showing us the way. It's been amazing to be in conversation mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for inviting us to be here with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So where can people 
find you and follow you on socials? Um, so skill in action uh, on Instagram and um, race and resilience. Our website is where people can find out more information about our work and the, the detox and refuge retreat, which is coming up at the end of November, November 27th through December 3rd. And then um, we also have individual websites. Um, so Michelle C. Johnson is my website and, and the retreat is on there and much of our work is listed there too, as well as other workshops and immersions that I offer. And Carrie has, it's American Detox is your website, right? It's americandetox.co or carriekelly.co. You can get them there both ways. And then I'll also say, you know, for folks who are um, wanting to get to politicize the healing work <laughs> and get in action, go to citizenwell.org. And yeah, you can find me on the socials at, at Yoga and at citizenwell. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning Citizen Well, um, because that's a really important um, resource that I have gained a lot and learned a lot from is, um, also. Yes. So thank you so much. And uh, let's get through Scorpio season together with some, some joy and fun. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah. Thanks so much, y'all. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know 